0: This week, we welcome Dan Purvis, Chief Executive Officer at Valentium, to discuss medical device security. In our second segment, Jill I. Torrell, Editor-in-Chief at SC Media, joins me for a pre-recorded interview with Elena Clark, Assistant Director for Stakeholder Engagement at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency to kick off Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Business Security Weekly starts now.
1: This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we explore the business of security to improve the security of business. Your trusted source for actionable insights on leadership, communication, and innovation. Get ready for Business Security Weekly. Let's face it, cyber attackers have the advantage. ExtraHop is on a mission to help you take it back. Regain the upper hand with security that can't be undermined, outsmarted, or compromised. When you don't have to choose between protecting your business and moving it forward, that's security uncompromised. See how it works in the full product demo, free online at securityweekly.com forward slash ExtraHop. People require access from anywhere to resources everywhere, but legacy security is ill-equipped for today's hybrid organization. AppGate SDP delivers zero-trust network access for hybrid workforces and workloads, empowering trusted users with secure, frictionless connections to only what they need. Make your attack surface invisible and reduce time to provision by 91% with AppGate SDP, a leader in the 2021 Forrester ZTNA new wave. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash AppGate. We're proud to announce CISO Stories, a new podcast series in partnership with Cybersecurity Collaborative and Cyber Reason. CISO Stories features the candid perspectives and experiences of frontline senior security executives and dives deep into timely security topics. CISO Stories is hosted by Todd Fitzgerald, VP of Cybersecurity Strategy at Cybersecurity Collaborative, and Sam Curry, Chief Product and Security Officer at Cyber Reason. Listen weekly as they speak with extraordinary CISOs by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash CSP.
0: Welcome to Business Security Weekly. This is episode number 234, recorded October 4th, 2021. Yes, it is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I am your host, Matt Alderman, here in Colorado, after just a horrible loss by the Broncos this weekend. Anyways, joining me remotely are my co-host, <laughs> Mr. Albuquerque.
2: Hey, I- at hey, least how the Patriots
0: doing, showed up. I mean, come on.
2: I know, I know. You know what? We, uh, we defied all odds, and I think Mac Jones impressed the hell out of the NFL. And to be honest with you, I think impressed the hell out of Tom Brady as well. So you have a lot of hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. I think he's going to he's going to kill it.
0: Yes. Also joining me, Mr. Ben Carr, the the Cowboys did well this weekend. Yes. Yes. Are you surprised by that? Um, With Dak (laughs) some days, I do question it. I haven't seen the consistency, (laughs) but he's getting better. (laughs) It'll come. It'll come. Yes, it will. Join us October 21 to learn why zero knowledge encryption matters. If you missed any of our previously recorded webcasts or technical trainings, they are available for your viewing pleasure at securityweekly.com forward slash on demand. Go to securityweekly.com forward slash, what is it, register, I think, Webcast. I can't remember what the the original uh, landing page is for webcasts. It's been a while. Don't miss... Any of your favorite Security Weekly content, visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe to any of our podcast feeds and have all the new episodes downloaded right to your phone. You can also join our mailing list, Discord server, and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms. Dan Purvis is Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder at Valentium, a professional engineering firm that specializes in the design and manufacturing of therapeutic and diagnostic active medical devices with the goal of changing lives for a better world. A serial entrepreneur and founder of six companies, Dan has fulfilled his dream to build a company that puts culture before function, results before profit. He has more than 20 years of experience in software, electronic and medical devices. Dan, welcome to Business Security Week. Hey, thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Now, you're an Aggie, so do you root for Houston or Dallas professionally? Just curious.
3: Oh, it's all Houston. It's all Houston. And then I had a question for you. What did you think about that run at the end of the Bronco game where the Harbaugh's trying to get his team an extra 100 yards to keep the streak alive? Uh, well, there's been a lot of press about that one.
0: Uh, I, I just three seconds left in the game. You want to keep the streak alive, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Kind of rubbed it in a little bit, but I Denver Broncos fans like this is why we needed another
3: quarterback because the offense just cannot move the ball with true lock. It's just, (laughs) just sorry. My hope (sighs) was that the Broncos would have stuffed him where he does what he maybe shouldn't have done. And then Broncos nation shuts him down. Oh, well, Oh, that would have been, yeah, I know. Uh, I think everybody was expecting them to take a knee. But anyways,
0: all right, let's get on to this topic, because so a little background, I think it was 2014 when Art Coviolo did the keynote at RSA conference talking about the possibility that a cyber attack could actually lead to physical damage and potentially death. You know, we just went through a pandemic. We've seen a rise in ransomware attacks. There are lawsuits out there about how some of these attacks led to causes of death. I mean, this is becoming serious a little bit now, isn't it?
3: Yeah, no, it's really true, especially in our field of medical device. uh, You've got a different world out there because you can't just throw a, a firewall into a server room and protect things because these devices are they're transportable around a hospital, they're implantable into a patient, they move wherever the patient goes, and you don't have the ability to control the environment like you do with a server room or a network. And so uh, the challenge around embedded cybersecurity for med device, not only is it more challenging because of the size and the lack of control of location, but it's challenging from a public health situation that uh, when you can use uh, attack at the cybersecurity level to directly hurt the health of individuals or masses of individuals. It gets pretty scary quick.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we've, like I said, we've seen some of these stories in the news. And to your point, it, it's not a simple fix. I, I think there's two big challenges. One, there's a lot of legacy medical devices sitting around. And I know from my days uh, on the nuclear side, industrial control system legacy issues, You've got them with medical devices as well, but then all these new devices with all these new
3: capabilities have to create some very
0: interesting cybersecurity gaps as well.
3: Yeah, several different challenges there. Lots of clients will come to us and say, I've got a device security issue with my med device that's been out in the marketplace for many years. What can you do? And and with cybersecurity, it's, it's different than risk management. In risk management you talk all all the time especially with FDA in severity and likelihood severity and likelihood and yet in cybersecurity the likelihood is always 1 if there is a vulnerability you have to assume that that vulnerability will be exploited if if i have a a dog in the backyard and there's a hole in the fence somewhere it may be weeks months years where that dog stays in my backyard but that dog's eventually going to find that hole and so it's it's critical from the ground up to architect security into your devices, into your embedded devices, whether they be medical embedded or not. So when you look at an embedded legacy device, uh, the challenge around creating cybersecurity and and vulnerability uh, resilience in a device that is already out there in the marketplace is challenging. At, at, at best it's challenging and so uh, it's really important to to design with security in mind and what we see then going forward is that more and more of the marketplace the patient populace the doctors the nurses the healthcare system in general want a connected universe at the medical device level i want my device to talk to my phone i want that device to publish data to a cloud where the doctor doesn't have to wait till the next time i come to their office to find out information about that device. They can find out about that device whenever they choose to go look at the data in the cloud. And so more and more devices are connected because the marketplace demands it. But in that connection, there's additional vulnerability. And so how to keep this trend alive where we want more and more connected devices while also shoring up those devices to assure that they're just as buttoned up and invulnerable as possible is something that we talk about in our industry all the time.
4: But Dan, yeah, given Dan,
3: everything you—sorry, Jason. Like, given everything you've said, Dan
4: is like it's a truism, right? I'm just wondering, like, why the reticence for secure by design, right? Like, you know, if you think about the medical industry in, in, as a whole, you could certainly segregate it into legacy devices versus new devices. But on the new device side, y- you would think that manufacturers would understand this at the core and really try to get in front of this with really tight secure by design practices, if any industry, right? I, I think. Uh, as Matt said, IoT, ICS is certainly another side of the house where we, we'd like to see secure by design lead the lead the charge. But on the on the medical device side, why is it so hard to get the investment and to get the understanding that this is just a must have, not a
3: nice to have? So it's definitely a a, a maturing industry security in any industry specific that is isn't network right and so uh, it's not uncommon for our clients especially when they're startup or venture back clients to not even have security on the roadmap the average startup has licensed something out of the university often the founder has come out of the medical labs And so to come into the medical device commercialization space from hard science or medical science uh, it's all new the business is new the commercialization is new and so it's not uncommon for us uh, to come into client engagements where they've got great science and perhaps even a prototype but no design history file no requirements no design inputs tracing to design outputs with full traceability throughout and security is just one part of that and so as organizations mature, uh, they get into more and more hardened design and design process. And then as the market as a whole matures, you get more and more CISAs in medical device firms where they're like, hey, this is a real issue. We got we to gotta consider this. There have been now the first documented deaths based on attack and in the medical space over the last year and so this continues to get more and more attention and then the fda got everyone's attention when they put out their latest guidance about a year and a half ago now that basically said if you come to us for approval of your device and you don't have a cybersecurity plan that we're just going to return your submission and so uh, whether it be from the the growing threat out there that people start to think about it or whether it be from the fact that you can't really get approved without it Uh, or just the fact that you want to do the right thing, any one of those three lead more and more to secure design. And yet, embedded security by design is a different animal than network-based security by design. And so in a lot of ways, I think firms are going out and finding a network cybersecurity leader, and it's different. It's different when I have to use a scalpel to replace this device. It's different when this device needs to run on battery power for seven to nine years. So it's just a different world in small-scale IoT embedded or medical embedded than it is in, in network-based cybersecurity.
2: And Dan, I mean, it's great to hear that there's these influences now to to kind of guide organizations in the right direction. And and honestly, that's where your firm comes into play, right? To bring those best practices to the table and help organizations mature. You know, it, it is so different than your traditional cybersecurity practice, and that's where that's where I really start thinking: what does that process look like? Right? I mean, I have a cousin of mine who has, you know, uh, 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 you know, they have a device on the back of their arm, right, for insulin—an insulin pump. It connects to the cloud, and when it, you know, when I'm having conversations, I mean, my head goes right to cybersecurity, right, just just naturally. So, so for an organization like your, yours that is really that business partner to these um to you know to these these organizations what does that process look like what what process do you bring them through to make sure that they're embedding security by design into every aspect of their manufacturing process and go-to-market process
3: great question Jason yeah the the first thing I would say is that uh, cybersecurity by design is not a aggravating adder and so what we tell people first and foremost is that cybersecurity by design is really just good design by design. And so Mm -hmm. by having a cyber secure device that is secure by design, you will have a better design overall, not just because it's secure, but because it's better designed. And so first step in our process is getting that client or the community aware that this is the right way to go. And FDA has certainly helped with that by just saying we're not gonna approve it otherwise. So then you go into a cybersecurity plan with the cybersecurity architecture, and that starts with a cybersecurity vulnerability analysis. You go through the design step-by-step, looking for vulnerabilities, you end up with a vulnerability score, you do mitigations, you work on those mitigations until finally your design, maybe not your implementation yet because you haven't gotten there, but your design is cyber secure. But there are several different places that you really have to focus not just in the design itself uh when when we design embedded devices you don't always write all the software from scratch you'll have software from third parties you'll have software that is that is free and and out there and you have to know all of that software is in your device it's called the software bill of materials it's a new focus of fda and it's really really important because If you have your software bill of materials, you know exactly what's in your device, you know exactly what versions are in your device, then you can track vulnerabilities over time. It's not just a one-time vulnerability assessment. It's I know what software is in my device, and now there's been a a vulnerability exposed in some third-party software. Is that third-party software in my device or not? Nope, it was an earlier version. Okay, no problem. It is in my device. So now I know I have a vulnerability. And now you get to a a really powerful and yet very scary term of firmware over the air, FOTA. Uh, Firmware over the air, the ability to beam in new brains, essentially, to a medical device. And when we say beam in, it could literally be beam in beneath the skin to an implantable device, an implantable device that is life-sustaining, that is life-giving. And so uh, working people through uh, the process of starting with vulnerability assessment, moving on to software bill of materials, and then architecting in the ability to beam in or, or pass in firmware over the air to a new, new version of that embedded device is all important because if I have an, a vulnerability in the software, I need to be able to fix it. By by passing that in, when you think about firmware over the air on a life-sustaining device, uh, there's actually 21 steps to that. And uh, maybe I would plug at this point. Uh, we wrote this book last year, medical device cybersecurity, and it's embedded medical device cybersecurity. And in this book, we talk about firmware over the air. We talk about the 21 steps. And the reason that there are so many steps is you have to take the existing firmware and put it off to the side within the device bring in the new firmware confirm that that new firmware is actually legit once you have assured that it's legit you install it you have to confirm that that installation was complete and then you can release the old firmware at any time if anything goes wrong with that you have to be able to put the old firmware back in place and have the device work as it was before because this device could be Pacing someone's heart, for example, uh, not the kinds of things that you want to stop. And so, uh, the level brings of a whole rigor, new meaning to uh, downtime, doesn't it, Dan? Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 When you Hold think about breath. downtime, we're going to journey back to, on to soon. reboot the
4: pacemaker. Yeah. yeah, it's not probably a great idea.
3: Yeah, yeah. The last thing you saw was the scrolling, you know, deal <laughs> on your. Yeah, that's not okay. So I'm seeing a um, blue screen. Yeah, so firmware over the air is the next step in that process. And then, Jason, just to round it out, the fourth step in that process is manufacturing security. Now we're starting to bridge the gap back into into network cybersecurity, making sure that wherever these embedded devices are manufactured, that they're manufactured in a secure way. And so uh, that goes along with uh, different crypto devices that are in that device so that it can validate that a new firmware over the air Upload or download into it is accurate, uh, shared secrets, etc. But then also that in my manufacturing process that I break off the JTAG at the end, I disable things to where you can't get into that device in any other way than what we've intended, uh, is really important. Because if you can load that first version of firmware with problems, uh, known nefarious problems, then you've introduced vulnerabilities after the design, but before the release into the patient. And so uh, manufacturing cybersecurity uh, that in the manufacturing process, as we build the device that has been approved by FDA is the final step of those four. Vulnerability assessment, SBOM, software bill of materials, firmware over the air, and then finally manufacturing security.
2: Awesome. That, thank you for that overview. It, I mean, I just, you know, in, in just thinking what a complicated process that must be, uh, it, it's good to hear that you have all those covered. And, and you know, my, my next question just leads into where does the human factor come into play, right? What, what are we doing from, again, the end user side of the aisle with a lot of data, a lot of cloud access, access into applications, and maybe mobile apps that they can, you know, access telemetry on? Um, you know, how are we ensuring that those end users are secure from a, from a data privacy perspective, I think that's another another sure. piece that we need to look at, right?
3: Yeah, no, for sure. Patient health information or PHI is is a real issue. Um, you want to make sure that the the ability to have access to this information does not necessarily equal the permissibility of access of this information. Mm -hmm. And then the aggregate of all of this information is also extremely valuable uh, to manufacturers, to others that may want to try to get at that, and to the general public and public health. And so uh, when we're sending this data around, and this gets back into network cybersecurity, but it happens at the embedded level as well, data at rest, data in motion, making sure that it's encrypted throughout uh, and that, this data that is moving around is, is moving around in an encrypted fashion. You've got a lot of different end users. We Our cybersecurity practice and our usability practice within the, the firm are very related because there's making sure that bad people can't get in is, every, is very important and just as important as that is making sure that the good people trying to use it aren't misusing it on accident, right? So that when I hand a mobile device to a patient, they don't have the ability of increasing the current or the voltage on their neurostimulator beyond a safe level. But when I hand a device to a doctor or a caregiver, they have the ability to go beyond the bounds of what the patient could do because they're sitting there as the direct caregiver with the ability to set something that may be unique for a given patient. And so different levels, different fail safes, and different alarms for different users is critical. And then when I send that, that data, that patient health information, their private health information into the cloud, who can see it? Uh, When is it just for the patient? When is it for the patient and the caregiver? What about the manufacturer? Uh, You want to be able to give some of this information to the manufacturer at an aggregated or a generic anonymized level because it allows them to build better devices and learn for the future. Uh, Whose data is that? Who gets access to that data? These are questions that go beyond design engineering firms like us. We, We watch the regulations and we hold those very closely.
0: Dan, you've created some nice chatter on YouTube as we're live streaming this. And, and one of the questions that came through was, you, I, I think Valentium really looks at it from the design engineering process. But the, we're starting to get questions like, are there products out there that can actually validate and test devices that are already done? Like, how would you understand where some of these vulnerabilities are of existing devices because they're already in the field are there systems and solutions out there to help identify where the potential attack surface is
3: so so yeah there there are firms um it's it's a delicate balance right because there are a lot of vulnerable devices out in the marketplace and so uh the question becomes um do you get the attention of manufacturers to say hey this has got to be fixed going forward because that is the solution is to fix it going forward right the the most secure solution that any any patient has is to upgrade to a device that has been designed secure from from the ground up to the extent that you have a legacy device uh, there there are most likely vulnerabilities and so you have to weigh that and say, well, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for the life of my device, et cetera? There have been uh, interest groups, I guess we could call, that have hacked medical devices to prove to the community that it's possible. Um, But then there there are other groups, ourselves included, that if we're hired by a company, that says, hey, we want you to get into our device. We can do that, and we could do that for that company on behalf of that company to show vulnerabilities to that company to assure that they know how to securely des- design in the future. Um, we, we're pretty careful at our firm in the it,
4: difference in the ethics of a responsible disclosure program, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, there were companies uh, of past that. It's like, hey, if I have an event, I don't really want to talk about that event. It's now illegal not to, right? You you have to say, hey, we have this vulnerability. You have to talk about what your medical vulnerability has been, what you found. And and so in that world, and I think it's a good world that, that is more open and more disclosed, uh, it forces the, the the medical community as a result to take this seriously as a real, not just a social public health issue, Uh, not just as a reputation issue, but also as a business issue, is that you have to, if you're going to assure profitability going forward, assure that your devices are secure.
0: Yeah, and the tools we use here are different, right? I mean, looking for vulnerabilities at the firmware level, looking for vulnerabilities in some of this code, some of of that may be reusable, but I mean, the... It's a different world, and the tool sets oh, are a little yeah. different. We're so used I mean, to the commercial network security stuff that th- these tools are kind of highly specialized, aren't they?
3: I mean, there's a, there, you, can, you can get a BLE sniffer that will show you what's going on between your cell phone and the speakers in your car. You can get uh, – I, I, like many engineers, thought that once code was compiled, that it was secure. Because now it's just ones and zeros. And our, our security expert at our firm has taken compiled code and shown me the source code. And so back compiling compiled code into source code uh, brings up a whole nother issue. That maybe somebody who is going after your devices has not gone after it as a public health issue, has not gone after it as a ransomware issue. They're just going after it as a, we want to know how you did it. And so just to protect your business and your business IP is another another aspect of this. But yeah, a BLE sniffer that is just sitting there watching the data communication, that digital communication between the device inside of you to your handheld phone, uh, that can open a lot of eyes. Hmm. I think you've
0: developed some courses. I want I want people to know where to go. Like, how do they learn more? How do they learn about your process? You, you had the book out there, but I think you've also done some training courses and some other stuff because if people are in the space, I want to point them to some resources that they might be able to use and leverage to help educate them.
3: Sure, Matt. appreciate that. Uh, it, we looked far and wide because it's a real... Huge demand right now. Like everybody has got to have a cybersecurity architecture for their medical device if you're going to get it approved. And quite honestly, so we can all sleep at night, right? So um, we looked and looked and looked, and finally we wrote the book. And so that was step one. And then I said, I want to create a series of courses that people could take alongside of the book. Some people, they, they come to us, they say, we wanna work with your company because we read your book, we love the process, but we want you just to handle it, and we can do that. We also love for clients to handle it themselves using the tools and the techniques that we teach. And so if you're a book reader, you can read that book, you can highlight it and, and, and thumbnail different things and, and nail it, that's great. Or if you wanna take cybersecurity medical device level one, two, and three from us, we teach this as multi-day courses, Complete with a certification exam at the end of those courses. And so you can become a level one medical embedded cybersecurity expert. You can become a level two and a level three embedded medical cybersecurity expert. You can find that at valentium.com. There's a banner across the bottom uh, that appears when you go to valentium.com that talks to you all about the different levels. Uh, and then we're working towards a summit in August of next year. Uh, where we'll we'll gather industry leaders in embedded medical cybersecurity and just have a conference where we talk about best practices. So that's another way you could come to the conference, you could come to one of the courses, you could just read the book, or obviously we'd love to talk to you and, and serve you directly.
0: Dan, thank you so much for joining us on Business Security Weekly and talking about medical device security.
3: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: We're going to take a quick break and then air our pre-recorded interview with Elena Clark from CISA.